Doing it live on a Tuesday. It is the Dubcast. It's Bo Bishop. It is Johnny Ginter. We do it every single week, and we deliver it to you. And uh, boy, who would have thunk that we would be, you know, knee deep in basketball podcasts in the middle of June? But yet here we are, my <laughs> friends. So, um, Chris Holtman was announced uh, late last week as the head coach at Ohio State. He was introduced on Monday. Um, I thought he had a nice opening press conference. I thought he won the press conference. That's something people talk about from time to time. I think it's pretty much nonsensical, but um, but nevertheless, I thought he did. I thought he wore a great light gray suit. Uh, I thought the tie was solid, maybe Looked a little darker red than I would have wanted, but the light gray, I love that combination. If you're a coach at Ohio State and you have a big press conference, wear the light gray suit, the white shirt or light blue shirt with a, with a, a true – it's really, it's a cherry. I mean, you call it scarlet, but like a cherry red tie. That's that just always wins. Would you agree? I with go. That? I would go complete reverse. I would go the gray tie and then the scarlet suit, and just you know. If you did that, you <laughs> wouldn't last a se- about five minutes. Josh. I had a I mean, suit like good. that when I was a, when I was a little kid. I had you a had suit. A scarlet, like you had a maroon, that. like a scarlet suit. Yeah, bright red, beautiful. And what color is scarlet? Like, do we I represent think, it correctly? Cherry-ish. I think you. I think you had it on with that. I think. I mean, if you look pretty, at like kind of cherry red. Yeah, that's pretty. I'd say that's yeah. a pretty close approximation. So I was yeah. rocking the. It looked like something out of uh, Dumb and Dumber. It was pretty great. You'd carry it. You could absolutely carry Legit. it. Um, so here's where I sit on this thing. I, I think that you can absolutely. You can absolutely get the right coach, and it not be what you intended to do. <laughs> I think you can win the coaching hire and yeah. it not fulfill your own expectations for what you intended. And I think that's what happened here. Um, I think that, that the notion that, that Chris Holtman was Gene Smith's first choice is absurd. <laughs> uh, I do not believe that he was. No. I do not believe you fire Thad Mata for Chris Holtman in June. Um, and that said, I think it's a pretty good hire. I think this will be okay. I think he's going to do a nice job. I think he'll be hungry. I think he'll we'll know right away. He's got to recruit that 2018 class like crazy. And if he doesn't, uh, this could you know you could see smoke signals that this is a bad hire almost immediately. If he doesn't land a big class in 2018, there is a ton of pressure on him. But I do not believe for one second that when Gene Smith uh, a week ago Monday fired Thad Mata, that this is what he intended this to be. That no. this was the coach he thought he would be he would get. Um, I think that basically they stumbled into a really good coaching hire. Um, and if you believe the reporting of last week from Jeff Goodman of ESPN, who's pretty plugged in and pretty good at his job. I mean, this could have been Greg McDermott. This is a, this is better than that, but this is not, this is not Thad Mata when they hired him in 2004. That's not what this is. Thad Mata's record at Butler and at Xavier was significantly better than Chris Holtman's is coming in here now. This is a guy who, and the most significant thing that happened to Chris Holtman in his coaching career, John, was coaching under John Gross at Ohio because they had that run. That got him the job at Gardner-Webb. Now he has these three meandering seasons at Gardner-Webb. He does get better. He is building something. He then takes a job as an assistant coach at Butler under Brandon Miller. Miller leaves. Nobody, I don't even think, still to this day know what happens to Brandon Miller. He takes a leave of absence. Holtman (laughs) becomes a permanent coach. He makes three straight NCAA tournaments. But that's an established program. Butler's yeah. an established brand and program. So and this for is a while. I mean, going back, yeah, to this is a long time. You know, Butler's been very good for a long time. Right. Uh, they go to the round of thirty-two twice. They go to the Sweet Sixteen once. He's solid, but he is not, in my belief, what they intended to do when they ran Thad Mata out of Ohio State. It doesn't mean it can't work. It doesn't mean it's not a good hire. I think it can be all those things. 
but I don't believe it's what Gene Smith intended to do when he fired Thad Motto a week ago Monday. I don't know what he intended to do. I don't know. Like, I have an idea. Well, I, I would like to hear your theory because if you know, I my alternate take on this is Gene Smith sitting there on Friday and just laughing at all our takes about Gray McDermott and be like, "Oh, you're so stupid! I had this all in my pocket all along," like which is ridiculous and ludicrous. But I want to know like what you think he was thinking on this because my personal perception on this is that he wasn't thinking anything and it was just a fly by the seat of my pants kind of thing. I believe I think I laid this out, but this is I did this on the show today and I'll do it again. I think on the television show we did I, this is what I believe. Talking to people that I trust, I think that Gene and Thad had a conversation in March. A couple of things happened on the recruiting scale. Baisley, chief among them, uh, the thing that happened to Jake to Lyle. Uh, so those things happen. Thad and Gene, in the meantime, while that is going on on one parallel timeline, on another parallel timeline, Gene Smith is getting his list together. And he's putting out feelers to people he might be interested for the job. And he's reaching really high for some big, big names. And I believe that going into that meeting with Thad Mata on that Friday when they decide that when Gene basically tells him that the show's over, that Gene felt comfortable that he was going to get a big-name coach, a big-name coach. That fell apart over the weekend, and he was then forced to scramble. Right. That's my so belief. In other words, like the Millers and then, you know, a guy like Billy Donovan. Donovan Billy Donovan, uh, yeah, Fred Hoiberg. I mean, a big name. You know, Sean Miller, somebody like that from an established right. big program that he believed he was comfortable that he was going to get somebody like that. And, and probably he had, he had squared it down into one person and was confident that this one person had a pretty good chance that he was going to get this guy. And then that fell apart through the weekend into Monday, and then he had to scramble a little bit. Because I would, if you connect the dots on this, why would you tell your, your, your returning players on the basketball team that you wanted to have a coach by Friday? After, why would you put a <laughs> deadline on it? Yeah. What's the hurry? unless you knew you had somebody. Right. There's no reason to hurry. The, the next recruiting period isn't until July. This could have taken all of June. It wouldn't have made any difference unless so, you thought you had somebody when you had that meeting with those former, with those student athletes. Right. And you tell them, look, we got a guy and you're going to like it. It's going to be here Friday. And I'm telling you right though. now, when that happens, Chris Holtman isn't the guy he thinks he's getting. No. Well, and here's the thing though. Here's, here's, if you take Gene Smith, at face value where he did not know what he was going to do with that mana prior to the meeting that they had. So you've basically oh, please. all of, which I don't believe, but let's say, no. let's say that's what he's let's, let's take him at his word. So right. in April and May, he's not thinking about the next coach, which is mm -hmm. stupid. I mean, he obviously should be, you know, no matter what he was going right. to you know, do in this most re recent meeting. Yeah. To me, if you want to get a home run hire like that, if you want to hire Billy Donovan, whatever, you don't call a dude over a weekend and try to set it up. You know what I mean? Like, no, that's no. something you've got to be cultivating for months. And I know, yeah. like, you know, we, we look at the Urban Meyer hire as this, this great confluence of opportunity and luck and all this other stuff. But that's also something that I'm sure they danced around each other for a long time to decide the particulars of how that was going to work out. Uh, I don't know that a dude like Billy Donovan or, you know, Sean Miller and these other guys are going to be wooed over the course of a weekend. And I don't think that's what happened. I'm sure they were in contact with other people. Yeah. But I also know that that's probably difficult to do when you still have, you know, ostensibly a coach, right? Like who's going to be coaching for the foreseeable future to try to get that done. So I don't, it's not, it's not like a, you know, Luke Fickle situation where you know that's not permanent. Um, I, I just, I think the timing was weird and I, I don't feel that he maybe did the legwork that if you want to get a huge home run hire like that, you got to do. So I think I he did I mean, the legwork. I think that I, I know he did the legwork.
Yeah. I know he had a list. I mean, I know he had a list and I know he was working on things in, in April and May. Yeah. And, and I, now what I don't know is if those conversations were pointing towards the end of next year, because it's inevitable, they're going to be bad in 2017. I mean, it's <laughs> right. going to be bad. Yeah. So I don't know if he was planning for the end of next year. My guess would be connecting the dots that the way this went is he started every, every AD has a list always. So he starts checking on that list in April and May. And at some point in May, he gets some assurance that somebody at the top of his list, and it was not Chris Holtman. It is my belief that somebody at the top of his list gave him some assurance that he would be interested in talking about the job. And that's why Gene made the move in June. I contend. And I believe you do not fire Thad Mata in June for Chris Holtman. You do not tell student athletes you're going to have a coach by Friday and then go through this meandering coaching search. There's no reason for to do any of that to get Chris Holtman. All that being said, and I don't want this to get, if you're listening, I don't want the, I'm not negative on the hire. It's a good, it's, I think it's a fine hire. I think he's going to do a nice job. We'll get into the expectations because that's a different thing too, because apparently the, the definition of what's expected has changed, or at least what <laughs> most of us think the definition of has changed. Oh, absolutely. With this coaching hire. So we'll get to that in a second. What I'm trying to get across is you can have a great hire and it not be what you intended to do. And that's what I think happened here. And well, the other thing is the universal praise for Holtman that's coming from all circles across the board. I'm a little more skeptical than some based on the expectations that Gene Smith has set up for Mr. Holtman. And we'll get into that momentarily. Yeah, but I, I think in, in any event, I, I definitely agree with you with the idea that that is not what Gene Smith had in mind at the beginning of, of the yep. week, right? Like, I, I no. <laughs> however else it turned out, that was not his uh, beginning intention, I think, was, was to go after Holtman, uh, especially if, if McDermott ends up being, you know, a, a legitimate consideration for the head coach. Because, I, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to crap on McDermott too much, but I think when we get into the expectations game, a lot of it is based on prior performance and... You want a guy who's proven, and, and you're absolutely right. That Mata is not, you know, the same, you know, in terms of background in 2004 as, as Holtman is today. So there's a lot that has changed, and I think people expect that huge home run higher. But at the very least, I mean, going to his introductory, you know, press conference, the guy walked the walk and talked the talk. He said all the right things. Um, you know, he was really passionate about what he was doing, and he didn't seem like a guy who was just blindsided by an offer from Ohio State on Monday. <laughs> so, you know, that's, right. I think that's a positive thing. And, and even if the guy was, I, you know, I think he'll do a good job. I think he, you know, I spent a lot of time this past weekend, you know, trying to learn about the dude and going mm -hmm. through his Twitter account and stuff. Seems like a really solid guy. Loves his kid. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think he's a good fit for Ohio state, but you're right. I, I think the expectations for what he's going to do for the program are way different than what Thad model yeah. walked into. Yeah, and then Thad really <laughs> delivered. Okay, so let's tackle that now. One thing that Gene said in his press conference, and this is why I think you get in trouble if you believe everything Gene says uh, around the board. One thing Gene said in his press conference was um, he wanted to be very clear. He kind of went out of his way to say this. I want to be very, essentially saying, I want to be very clear that I did not go in that Friday to fire Thad Mata. I don't <laughs> believe that that's truthful. Yeah. Um, I definitely don't believe that that's truthful. And the reason I say that is a column that, uh, that Doug Maurice, Cleveland.com, he's a great friend, one of the very best college football, college sports writers in the country. And he wrote, he got Gene one-on-one. -on -one. And some of the candor that comes out of Gene's talking, interview with Doug is illuminating to me. And one of the things is the idea of 
uh, when, when we talk, when Jeans goes up there and he says, I didn't intend to fire him. And then this is this, this is the line really. And you and I both read this before we started the podcast. I, I pointed out to you and I think you agree with me on this. Um, Doug says, um, Thad Mata had a dip and that he missed two years of NCAA tournament. And Gene Smith says, quote, define dip. Yeah. He says missing two NCAA tournaments in a row. And Gene responds, I wouldn't call that a dip. This is why we're here. Okay. So you can't tell me that on a Friday you weren't going to fire a guy and it was more about health and it was mutual. We none of it, we all know it wasn't mutual. Thad would still be coaching if he if he had his way. Yeah. To I wouldn't call that a dip. That's why we're here. And if that's why you're here, because he missed two tournaments, then you should have fired him in March and you could add Archie Miller. Right. Right. No. And, and well, I mean, the other alternative maybe explanation for that is like, I need to clarify this. I need to explain, you know, what my reasoning was and whatnot. That's why I'm talking to you. Um, but then he goes on to say, he says a little bit later on, you know, like we have the resources, win championships, win every year. And then he says, why not four times? Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. To me, obviously the expectations are different. And Gene Smith, I think the agenda that Ohio State has set for all of their sports, doesn't matter, revenue, non-revenue, whatever, is you're going to win a Big Ten championship and compete for national championships. That's you awesome. could be you could be the shooting team. You could be the synchronized mm-hmm. swimming team with like eight teams nationally. Doesn't matter. You've got to win. And you're going to be basing that on like – conference championships, tournament championships, all this other stuff. Uh, but at the same time, I think he's trying to hedge a little bit and say like, yeah, but I still like that Mata. You know, that's not why. And there's a bunch of other things. Like to me, it almost feels like he's using his health as a, as an excuse to get rid of a guy who, you know, has gotten to multiple final fours and things like that, which to me is kind of the, a cop out. I think it's the easy way out. I think he wanted to fire him, but he didn't want to be the guy to fire him. Right. Exactly. He wa- he wanted the performance to be so apparent where he could go like, th- clearly this guy is out as opposed to, I got to be the bad guy here. Yeah. All right. So he goes on in this story to Doug um, and Doug got him, the, you give, tip your hat to Doug. You got him one-on-one in this scenario. Yeah. Um, he asked him about his expectations and the culture in Columbus. And Gene says, we should be a top 15 program in, in the country all the time. Periodically top five. That's my expectation. Expectations. Doug writes, that I told him is pretty ambitious. Smith respond, that's exactly right. That's what I feel is capable. Now, this is the part that's interesting. And I'm going to use Doug's stats because they're the best, uh, best ones I've seen to this. And that is that in Thad Mata's time as the Ohio State head coach, Ohio State won five regular season Big Ten titles in 13 years. In the previous 33 years, they won five Big Ten titles. So there's no, this is, there are, the Ohio State basketball program is an interesting one because there are these blips of greatness but in between is vast, vast inconsistency and underachievement. This has always been viewed as a sleeping giant because of the talent in the state. There's been really Thad Mata's stretch here from Connolly Oden through Deshaun Thomas, where it was exceptional. And we said last week on the podcast, we said that is the best the Ohio State program can be. Right. That is now the expectation for what the Ohio State basketball program can be. And yeah. I would contend that if that is the expectation, then you need to recruit the way that Thad Mata recruited in that seven-year period. And what that requires is that you sign the very best kids in the state of Ohio, and you go get one or two five-star caliber players outside the state every year in every recruiting cycle. And I ask you this, my good friend, do you believe on the surface that Chris Holtman can do that? <laughs> uh, 
I think he's capable of doing that. I don't think he's going to get that on a consistent basis. I don't think there's nothing in his track record that's proven that he can, though, is my point. And it goes back to the original point that if that's the expectation, Gene had to have somebody else in mind. Right. And that's and that's a fair point. And if it does come back to recruiting him and then you need a superstar coach that can just, you know, pull those guys without having to, you know, basically get on their hands and knees and calto and, and try to just, you know, beg people to come to Ohio State. That that shouldn't be the expectation or the, you know, what you want from your coach. But I just for me personally, like I mean, Thad Motta was gonna get fired at a certain point, right? Like even if he had coached out through the end of next year, there's no way he survives next year. Yeah, because of what's going. So uh, you've got to have some kind of improvement in recruiting and in management and all this other stuff. Anyway, I don't know that. I don't know that Ohio State fans would have been able to deal with an entire year of what we were about to come up against. No, no, and that's all fine. And that that I, that's not. I don't think, though, my friend. I don't think that's what this is about. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Yeah, the end was near. We did the podcast in March, and we said this is dead man walking. Right. right. We all. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. I just, I just think, and again, I have to reiterate this. This could very, you may have gotten the right guy. This guy might be great, but there's absolutely nothing in his track record that would lead you to believe that he will be able to reach these expectations. Well, to your point, and here's something that I want to bring up, because I was actually, I was looking at this and I was kind of looking at the first three years. And I actually, I think I might write about this uh, later this week, but I was looking at the first three years of um, all the current Big Ten coaches. So their first three years at their current jobs in the Big mm-hmm. Ten. And I think there's only I think there's only three current coaches in the Big Ten right now that average more than 20 wins. And multiple coaches uh, had losing records over those three years. Sure. So, and, and I think what's going to happen is, my point with that is what's going to happen is, is that those schools, if you are at Rutgers, if you're at, you know, Iowa or whatever, you'll absorb that. You'll say, all right, that's fine. This is okay. This is a natural part of trying to rebuild something. At Ohio State, if you get into year two and Chris Holtman is winning 15 games, like what's going to happen to that? Well, you know, like, I'll tell you even worse. If he signed next, you'll know because you're going to know next, next spring. You'll know. Right. If he doesn't have a great 2018 recruiting class, that will be an enormous red flag. Right. I want to be abundantly clear. I am rooting for this guy. I like him. I love the Sudi war. I'm a fan of all of it. I, <laughs> yeah. I hope it works. I love the Ohio State basketball program at its best. I love the history of it. I loved covering it. I love the players involved. I'm closer with the former Buckeye basketball players than any of the other sports. Scooney Penn is one of my great friends. I hope they knock this out of the park. It yeah. is just that the expectations do not, in my opinion, match the coach you hired. The expectations that were laid out are if you hired John Calipari. Yeah. That's the expectation. You got to live up to that. That's what, that's, if that's what's expected, then I don't know if this dude can live up to that. So to me, he's being set up to fail a little bit. I think the most important thing that Chris Holtman can do is develop Wesson immediately. That kid, he's got to make that kid a program changer. Yeah. There are people in, in central Ohio who think he's got some Jared Selinger in him. The people I know who who I trust on basketball say he's not 50% of Jared Sullinger. So we'll see. They need him to be. Uh, but he's got to start. I want to see development in those guys. I want to see a style of play so that I know what Ohio State basketball is because they haven't had an identity since Aaron Kraft left. You don't know what they've been since Aaron Kraft left. 
I want to see an identity with Ohio State basketball. So when I turn on a TV, I go, oh, yeah, the Buckeyes are on. I don't care if they win 12 games or 21 in year one. If they're playing a style of basketball that can be sustained and be a program-defining style, I'm all for it. The next thing he has to do is he's got to have a great recruiting class in 2018. That, yeah. to me, is the expectations for the next 365 days for Chris Holman. It's not wins that's and heavy. losses. It's style that's of really play heavy. and crush the 2018 recruiting class. Because if that's the expectation that's being laid out by the athletic director, that's the minimum requirement. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, for a dude coming out of, you know, what isn't, I mean, not currently a mid-major, but, you know, definitely has the feel of one. And you're kind of walking into this, <laughs> this hornet's nest. I just... I mean, I'm with you. I want him to be good. I want him to to be successful. I think it's really, it's just going to require more patience from Ohio State than what they currently have. So and, that would go in the eye of the athletic director's statement, though. Right. Well, and and you know, I mean, but that's my point. Right. Exactly. Doesn't exactly. match up. Right. It doesn't. The program match. is so far away from that. You know. Right. I mean, he would have to have. You think about what Thad did in year one, dealing with NCAA sanctions. Thad wins twenty games. And he beats Illinois at home in the only loss Illinois has that year in the regular season. One of the great Illinois teams of all time. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it was incredible. The next year, he gets Connolly and Odin. Yeah. (laughs) He got got two one-and-dones the next year. Yeah. I mean, that's what he did. Like, that's what's required of Chris Holtman to match up to these expectations. I don't see it. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't see it. Well, I mean, again, you know, that's that's just – It'll be very. And this is more of an indictment on Gene than Chris. Yeah, because well, because of how the more of the, the indictment of the absurd expectations than it is on the coach. And that's that's going to be something that for I mean honestly like I think to to your point about the play style. I mean, he talked in his press conference about how he wants to be an attacking, aggressive style. If people enjoy what they're watching, and they like the product. I think that'll give them a little bit more patience than maybe Gene yeah. will have. And honestly, Gene is like Gene cares about the seats, right? As long as those are filled and people yeah. are coming to the games, and that's interesting, it they'll give him a little bit more of a leash to try to yeah. develop the, the players and whatnot. So I'm not like super, you know, excited, you know, expecting Big Ten championships and getting to the Elite Eight and all this other crap. I'm I'm okay with waiting for that, but. I think the biggest thing is getting butts in the seats and getting excitement around the program. And that's something I think he can build. I don't know that he's going to get all those five-star you know, recruits immediately and he's going to be able to get a Contenley or an Odin or something like that. But I do think he can make Ohio State basketball interesting and make people want to actually watch it. And that's going to give him a lot more help in terms of the expectations game than anything else because he's not going to get all of those recruits at once. It's not happening. But if he can make Ohio State basketball a product that people care about, that might change the equation a little bit. And then it can maybe start to develop something. But you're not going to have the opportunity to sit around for three or four years, you know, at like a, you know, at a Butler, you know, in the other places and, and try to create a culture and stuff like that. You've got to establish that from, you know, second one. So, yeah. and I think, you know, he's a young guy. He's an aggressive guy. I think he'll be able to do that. But you've got to show it on the court. And I think, I don't know. I'll, I'll be excited to tune in and see what happens in the first couple of games. And that'll be a first for a couple years or for the past couple years. Cause I really, honestly, I mean, I've watched games, but I haven't been invested since, you know, since after new year's for Ohio state basketball for a while. Now I'll actually want to see what kind of product they put out there. Yeah, I, I am too. I'm excited. I think it, I, I, again, I think it can be a great hire. Um, I don't know. It's what I, again, it's not what they intended, but I think it's a great hire. I think he's, yeah. he'll be solid. And I just think that on the expectation front, 
what I would say if I were the athletic director of Ohio State is this is going to require some patience. Yeah. And because we're we're cut we're ways off. I mean, it's a ways off. So it's going to be a while, you know, before yeah. this thing gets flipped. And by the way, the, the program that Gene defined is Michigan State. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. I mean, that's what he defined. If you're in the neck, if you're not Kansas, Carolina, Kentucky, Duke, if you're not those guys, the next group is Michigan State. Mm-hmm. So if you if you want if you think you're one of those guys, then that's Thad Mata's best seven years consistently. Well, <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> that's they're they're a ways off from uh, from Michigan State. I mean, that may be the you know the the lens through which they view all their programs, but right to compare yourself to Tom Izzo and what he's been able to build is yeah. I mean, that's what he that if you look at Gene's thing, that's what he is. That's what he's defining. Yeah, that's Homer Simpson it's looking at himself State. in the mirror and like trying to flex his pecs and stuff. Like that's that's really. <laughs> It's really, yeah. I don't know. It'll be fascinating to see. I'm rooting for him, and I really can't wait for Ohio State basketball to be relevant again nationally. So, uh, look, this is this has been a wild summer conversation to have when it comes to on this front with uh, with the basketball. <laughs> you know, this was something we didn't think was going to happen. I thought when we got out of March, we wouldn't be having this conversation, but here we are, and June we had it. And intense yeah. basketball convo. That's good. That's solid, buddy. Uh, do we have any ask us anything this week? We have many ask us anything. We're gonna we're gonna try to get through as many as we can here. Uh, so okay. again, ask us anything and send us uh, emails dubcast at elevenwarriors.com or hit us up on Twitter at eleven dubcast. Uh, first one here is from James. Um, he was he said I was intrigued when you mentioned the privatization of the University of Florida athletic department. Mm-hmm. Could you give more details on how that works in contrast to what OSU currently does and what would change if OSU privatized theirs? This is a question that I would be far more comfortable answering in detail had I known it previously, (laughs) because (laughs) it's been a long time since I've covered the university of Florida's athletic department. Uh, I left Florida in 2007. So it's been 10 years at that time. They were the only school in the sec who ran a private athletic department. What I mean by that is all the funding that came in and out of it was separate from the rest of the university. Right. So that's currently what Ohio State's at then. Right. Right. So other schools have gone that way since. Um, And so at the time, Florida was kind of a groundbreaker on that. But it was my belief um, at the time that what that did for the University of Florida is it got them out of the Title IX thing. And it allowed them to essentially, if they wanted to, no one's going to be the first one to do this. But if they wanted to, it would allow them to pay, say, football players on a different football and basketball players, the two revenue producing sports, it would allow them to pay those players differently because what you always hear when you say pay athletes is, well, then you got to play the women's volleyball players. Well, no, you don't. Everybody's not equal. Some, some sports make money. Some don't. Um, And the private privatization of an athletic department in theory would prevent you from having to follow title nine. So that was the genesis of that. I'm not, I'm not, I haven't been around the Florida program for so long. I don't know if they've continued to move, even further down that line, but I know Ohio State kind of runs that way anyway. I think that's definitely something I would want to know more about because I think that's something that's going to come to a head in the next several years, especially when we, I mean, we talked about this in other podcasts, but you know, when some of the money dries up a little bit and what's going to happen with these schools that don't have self-sustaining athletic departments. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's an interesting thing. I mean, Ohio State, I know, has been, you know, pretty much self-sufficient. They, I mean, shoot, they even gave money to the university for the library renovation, uh, basically out of their own pocket. Right. So, you know, it, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of ins and outs when it comes to that. But when you've got revenues of like $150 million a year or something like that, it's, right. 
you kind of call your own shots in certain ways. Yeah. Um, this one's interesting. This is from Kai's, and uh, it refers to. So I wrote an article a couple weeks ago okay. uh, that people did not enjoy at all, and it was it was tongue in cheek. It was very tongue in cheek. I was not completely serious, uh, but I was indicating I was making the point that the optimal starting time for a college football game is at noon, mm-hmm. uh, with a preference toward eleven o'clock. <laughs> Yeah, and and that was not entirely serious on my part. Although I do very much enjoy noon games and early games, uh, but he Kai's is asking here, uh, what is a better kickoff time, noon or three thirty? I will tell you, Bo, that the people who commented on my piece fell squarely <laughs> in the three thirty camp. They did not enjoy my endorsement of uh, of noon. So, how do you feel about that? The best time for a college football kickoff is eight o'clock. At night. Well, okay. Well, accepting accepting night games. Except, so let's okay. say it's just between three thirty or noon. Three thirty. Then I would noon. do noon. To yeah. me, three thirty is just uh, three three thirty. Just wastes your whole day. Thank you. Uh, That's okay. So that was exactly I, my point. You know, Thank you. I mean, by the time you get home, it's ten o'clock. By the time you right. fight traffic, it's ten o'clock, and you're just kind of in this meandering place. And and the other thing about a three thirty game is you're definitely going to miss the start of the eight o'clock games because you're yeah. going to be trying to get home. So those are always the best games. So at least my thing with noon is if it's not if it's not eight, because really you can play anybody at eight o'clock in the shoe and it's great. Um, so if it's not eight, then I would take noon because then your first one out, you play your game and you can still enjoy the full day of college football. You watch the three thirty games, cherry pick those, and then you got eight o'clock. You got a full day ahead of you. Um, whereas for three thirty, I feel like you just lose the whole day. See, and that's exactly my point, because if you have an 11, or a noon game, right, you can do something in the morning and hang out in the morning, wake up early, have your fun, go to the game or watch the game, game's over at 3 o'clock, 3.30, you've got time to have, go out, have a nice dinner, you know, sure. maybe go, you know, apple picking, go get some pumpkins, do whatever you want, yeah. sun sets, 8 o'clock game, perfect nightcap, you're done, right? Like, that's yeah. to me, is a perfect a win. all day. It's a win. And sure. People didn't agree with that because they, I think they want a pregame basically from like nine to three thirty, which is fine. I've never been that, that way, but I that's mean, not, much? yeah, that's just know. not my deal. That's I don't ever want to, st- when I go to a college football game, I do not want to be bombed. Oh no. Like no, I, don't I don't mind don't. having a, a, you know, a little, I'm a cocktail guy. Everybody knows this, but sure. I don't, I have no interest in getting, having, having enough to like, I don't need to have six to me. It's a bloody Mary or a bloody beer and let's go. Right. Let's play a game. I mean, I don't need to drink for five hours to to watch a football game. Nor do I want to, because eventually the buzz wears off and you're just stuck in the stadium. Like, <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. Well, yeah. and that's noon. I just remember distinctly my very first uh, Ohio State Michigan game was in 2004. Uh, I was a sophomore, mm-hmm. and there was a guy who I was sitting in the student section. This guy stumbled in the student section and just sat in the in the aisle on the row there and just passed out he, he just like he was there from the first quarter till the end of the third quarter he woke up at the third quarter said who's winning i was like we are He's like great and then he went back out just for the rest of the <laughs> i'm like what this is first of all it was an awesome game right because it was yeah. one of those breakout games for troy smith um but you missed the entire ohio state mission game because you were just getting your blood out of your mind i just i don't yeah. understand how I you could miss a cool atmosphere like ohio state anyway uh, this one's from Alvin. He said, on the topic of the burst of TV deals, we talked about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. How do you think the idea of these mega conferences might play into that? I remember having a conversation with Gordon Gee off the record 
five or six years ago. Yeah. It was before it was before Urban was hired. And um I don't think Gordon would mind me sharing it because the landscape's changed so much and frankly he's no longer the coach at Ohio State and I doubt this will ever get to him. Um <laughs> but but what he was emphatic about and a proponent of was the super conference. Interesting. Was four sixteen team leagues, let's say, or whatever it's gonna be, and that they would keep all the money. Because what is the point of of in the college NCAA tournament, for example, sharing that money with schools that nobody cares about. That was his contention. Not in those words, but that was the feeling. Um, so I could see something like that down the road. And frankly, I think it would be good for the next group of teams to do that as well. Because I got news for you. If you're in the MAC or you're in some of these other leagues, especially in football, I don't know what good it does you to be a part of the BCS or the bowl playoff, whatever the hell it's called now. Um, you're never, you're never going to play in those games. Even the teams that do it, what do you get out of it? Wouldn't it serve you better if you went to a Mac school to play for a championship? I mean, and, and my, my point of reference on this is I grew up in Montana and the university of Montana is a very good FCS one double a football program, right? Yeah. They get about a 30,000 seat stadium in Missoula, Montana that sells out every single game. And the reason it does is because they've won a couple of national championships. They're in the playoffs every year and every year they can compete for it with Montana kids. Wouldn't that the same thing happened at Marshall, by the way, right? Marshall yeah, exactly. used to sell out everything. They won national championships. They did all these things. What, what's the Marshall no. football program now? Right. You know, so to me, play, and it's not fair. I mean, it's not fair to think that Ohio State and Akron can play for the same championship in theory. That's <laughs> stupid. Yeah. So I think everybody would probably benefit from it. I think the, the small, the mid majors would then have something they could play for. I think there'd be money in that um, for them. And I think the big boys could just play the big boys. I, I don't, I don't see the negative in it, I guess. Well, I'll tell you what, this may be a topic for another day just to get into a little bit more, but I've always thought that, you know, and some people have brought this up before me. I'm not, I'm not the generator of this, this idea, but I think relegation would be a really interesting concept for college football. <laughs> like in general. I know it's impossible. Yeah, I know it's like impossible, but the idea that you would have teams basically competing to get into better tiers and things like that, I, that's part of what makes, you know, the, like, you know, the, pro leagues in Europe so interesting right. is theoretically you could have some local club that you know works out at a, a you know out of a shack in a field behind somebody's house theoretically they could get to the top of the premier league yes it's never going to happen but at no. least you have that you have that sense of like achievement and progression that sure. can, you know you can track over time if you mm -hmm. ever go on wikipedia and look at these teams pages you you see the graphs that goes back to oh, like yeah. the 1880s yeah, uh, shows how they've played. Like, I think that would be really appealing to college football fans because then you can say, like, all right, well, we're a little bit down this year, but if we win this many games next year, we'll be bumped up, and then we can play for X, Y, and Z Cup or whatever the trophy you want to yeah. give them. I think that would be cool. I think that would be fun. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know how you do that logistically, but I do think that that there that would be smart to, and I think it will be something that is taken. If if Gordon was thinking about it five six years ago, he's not alone. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, and this is kind of along the same lines of what we were talking about here. This is from Tim. He is a little salty about Gene Smith. He wants to know how we look at him in the big picture. He he brings up something that I hear a lot uh, from fans when they criticize him. They talk about the, the Trestle firing and how that <laughs> kind of went down. And not the fact that Jim Trestle was fired, but just that mm -hmm. it was handled poorly. 
the fact that they uh, took a <laughs> they could have taken a bowl game ban when the team was bad as opposed right. to the next year with Urban Meyer and blah blah. And then you know the most recent uh, firing of Thad Mata. Do you think that impacts how you know maybe he should be viewed overall? In the yeah. Bowl? Yeah, because as, a, as an athletic director, I said this last week, you either build buildings or you hire and fire coaches. Gene can't really build any buildings that matter. They're already there. Um, he's never going to get any credit for the Urban Meyer hire. Many people, I think, rightfully know that that was a back-channeled situation. He came in at the end, um, probably in some reason to protect him, too. Um, you know, So he's never going to get any credit for that. This is his first real hire, this Holtman hire, Yeah, in terms of one that matters. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that, um, I'll, I'll go through those individually. Uh, the trestle one, I think he gets judged too harshly for, I know from, for a fact, and I would put my sons on this, that, (laughs) that Gene Smith knew nothing about what Jim trestle hid from him and from the NCAA. He knew nothing of that. He was completely in the dark. I know that for a fact. So on trestle. I give him a pass. There was no right way to do that. There's no right way to fire Jim Tressel at that time. Yeah. Um, the, the only way Jim Tressel was going to get fired is if certain boosters got tired of the, of the bad press. And that's what happened. Um, when that situation became untenable and embarrassing to the people who pulled the real strings at Ohio State, Jim Tressel was no longer the coach at Ohio State. Simple as that. Gene Smith had very little to do with that and knew nothing of the cover-up that, that, that Tressel uh, did under his time. Uh, the next one is to me his biggest cross to bear, and that is the the complete miss on the sanctions from Tatgate, because he did cost Ohio State a shot at a national title in Urban's first year when they went undefeated when they took the bull band that year instead of the year they went six and six, uh, and, and ended up, you know had that was the year that, to man. take it. What's that? that? Been, had they got into that, they had a real real good shot because it would have oh been gosh. What, Braxton Miller and Carlos Hyde against against. Uh, Manti Teow in, yeah. in Notre Dame. They would have started. Yeah. 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 Oh, for sure. They would have. Yeah. Ohio State would have beat Notre Dame. Absolutely. They would have. Ohio State wasn't as good as Alabama that year, but they would have beat Notre Dame. And that's what it would right. have been. Exactly. So that's his biggest. Um, that's his biggest mistake. And that's his biggest cross to bear as the athletic director at Ohio State. And then the one that I think he will truly be judged on is this. Um, the, the Thad modifying and the Chris Holtman hiring. This will be. He can build. And I love some of these programs, especially the wrestling program. Tom Ryan is awesome. I mean, I love him. Um, I love a lot of it. It's all cool. I love it. But none of those matter. What matter in, in terms of really mattering, what matters is football and basketball. And this is, he's never going to fire Urban Meyer. So the only thing he's going to get a chance to do, he fired Thad Mata, winning his coach in the history of the program, and he hired Chris Holtman. That's what he'll be judged on. And I'm just gonna I'm gonna throw this one in real quick. With we got two more after this, but I got, I just want to do this. Alvin said, uh, if OSU were to get Billy Donovan and Russell Westbrook, how far would OSU get next year the NCAA tournament? <laughs> what would Russell <laughs> Westbrook after? average in the NCAA? Like oh if Donovan God. let him run him up like he does in the pros, would he be like fifty? Would he be like Wilt? Fifty yeah, points, twenty-two no, rebounds, twenty-one assists. He would just literally, I think he would just do like one of those things in Looney Tunes where they don't animate the rest <laughs> of the players and it's just like Bugs Bunny running around everybody. Running around. Like, I think, yeah, I, I think that's exactly what would happen. Uh, last one, this is from, from Andrew. This is our, our Far East correspondent uh, in Thailand. Um, he's I got love that we have a Thailand bureau me. chief. Yeah. By the way, oh, the God. fact that we have a Thailand bureau chief is beautiful. Yeah, and I'll read, when we're done with this, we don't have to do it during the, the podcast, but I'll read you some info that he sent about what he's doing. So, okay. um, 
Anyway, so this one's for you. Uh, when you were in college or, you know, when you were just, you know, younger and whenever, mm-hmm. uh, what were some weird food concoctions you or your friends would make as hangover cures or otherwise? He says, my roommates and I were always partial to scrambled eggs mixed in with an entire pot of mac and cheese and hot sauce. That sounds delicious. Yeah. That um, so the, the two that I went to, the, it's amazing he said that. I immediately have the answers. Um, if I had a liquor hangover um, where it was all, always possible that I could throw up and continue to throw up, Especially, and I remember being especially miserable in the, in the summer heat, like when oh, I was God. in Florida. Yeah. Um, you know what did it was watermelon. Ooh, okay. Like if I, I would always have like a cold, really cold watermelon in the refrigerator. And if I ate that, there was enough juice in it and sugar, whatever the makeup was, that would just power me through. So if I had a liquor hangover, I'd do that. If I had a beer hangover and there was no worry about throwing up and I just needed substance for it. And I don't drink, I don't eat or drink either of these things any other time yeah. i can't even because i don't get hammered anymore i can't even tell you the last time i've ordered this but i would go to kfc and i would get the crispy chicken strips with a side of gravy and a mountain dew <laughs> that sounds like i don't i no that's i've had a mountain like, dew in 10 years fast food you want to go fast food that's not a bad that's definitely not a bad choice at all i think and the gravy's delicious i mean for whatever reason yeah. they have like beef gravy with chicken i don't even argue about it but like that, that would be the combination on a beer hangover when I need some substance, Mountain Dew, KFC, extra crispy strips and gravy. Yeah, that's, I think that's, I think that's legit. I think that's kind of along the yeah. lines of what I would be thinking too. I didn't well, really, John, I was a professional drinker. I mean, I still am, <laughs> probably, but yeah. You got a whole system. You got the, you yeah. got the whole thing planned out. Uh, this one's for me. It says, any quick Tokyo or Japan recommendations? My girlfriend and I are planning to visit on our way back to the States. That's cool. I lived, so it's funny you say Florida. I lived in the Florida of Japan. I mean, I lived in the rednecky, rural, hot, muggy, bug-filled, like they're praying mantises on my door all the time and <laughs> spiders everywhere. That's where I lived. And it was great. I absolutely loved it. Um, but it's definitely out of the way. And as far as Japan as a whole goes, I did take a trip to Nara and Kyoto. Um, Nara is super underrated as a vacation. Everybody wants to go to Kyoto, and, and justifiably so. It's a beautiful, beautiful city. Hundreds of shrines. It's just unbelievable place. One of the most insane places I've ever been in my entire life. Uh, but Nara is really, really legit and underrated. They have a... Um, I can't remember the name of the actual shrine, but they have a, a building that is the largest wooden building in the world. And it's massive. It's absolutely massive. It was built in the 700s. Earthquake knocked it down. They rebuilt it in like the 1400s, and that's essentially what's still there. Uh, it's got like an 80-foot Buddha statue in it. And the wow. other cool thing about Nara is uh, it's famous for its wild deer. Okay. And I, I had heard about this, that Nara has all these deer. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll see a deer or two. But they wander around the entire city. And this is a city of about maybe, I don't know, 60,000, 70,000 people. And they wander around the entire city like goats. Like, they're, they're half tame. And there's thousands of them. They're all over the place. You can, you just, you're tripping over them at all times. Um, but they'll go up to you and they'll, like, nibble on your bag and you give them yeah. some food stuff. And they'll, they've actually, what's funny is they've trained themselves to bow for food. So you can go up to some <laughs> deer and the deer will literally bow at you. And they give them some food, and then they'll just take it and they'll walk away. So it's Nara's a really it's a huge trip. It's 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 really cool. Um, if you end up in the part of Japan where I was at, uh, in the little city called Miyakinojo in uh, Miyazaki Prefecture, I would recommend checking out uh, Sakurajima, which is about ten miles away. That's the volcano that erupts pretty much every day. 
which is just a crazy thing to see if you've never seen a volcano <laughs> erupt. And there's also a uh, a natural rock formation called the Ogre's Washboard uh, on a beach nearby that is like this insane, weird-looking kind of rock outcropping formation that apparently only appears in like two places in the world. So that's what I would say. And if you're in Tokyo, I don't know too much about it. Uh, you can get to Mount Fuji pretty easily, though. So some people recommend taking the train out there and walking up uh, for sunrise. So that might be a cool thing to do, too. So there you go. That's all my... I got that's my quick Japan reference stuff. I got about a thousand more, but I'll stick with that. So I think it's great that you get the question about uh, exploring Japan, and I get the question about hangovers. <laughs> yeah, somebody solid. should ask about Montana. Montana is a beautiful, amazing place that I, I definitely. I'll, I'll tour guide your butt right through it anytime you want. Yeah, absolutely. We should definitely do that. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's ask us anything, and right. uh, keep sending them in, guys. I really appreciate it. All right, my friend. I think we've done our due diligence. Uh, lots, lots going on in the in the early part of June. I have no idea what we'll be talking about next week, but I'm guessing we'll do our best to make it entertaining. Yeah, absolutely. We'll uh, we'll see you next week. All right, buddy. See you next week.